Today on Let the Bible Speak. Just what is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how are we to respond to it? Return to the Word of God for the answer next. Greetings and welcome to Let the Bible Speak. I hope you've had a good week and I'm glad that you've joined me this morning for a time of study of the Word of God. I want to spend our time today talking about the gospel. Of course, every time we're together, it is to preach and study about the gospel. But today I want us to look at what exactly the gospel is, what it includes, what all it entails. The Bible reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelists are charged with preaching the gospel. Christians are expected to live in such a way that becometh the gospel, and the church is to strive for or guard the gospel. The word is used all throughout the New Testament, but what does it mean? What is it that we're to preach? What are we to strive for? What is the gospel? When Jesus gave the Great Commission shortly before ascending back to glory in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, He told His disciples, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. We want to speak today about the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? What should our response to the gospel be? That's all going to be part of our study today after a song from the congregation.
As Paul begins his letter to the church at Rome, he states in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The first several chapters of Romans make up the basis for Paul's statement and illustrate why the gospel is necessary to save men. Mankind is lost in sin, and the gospel is the good news of hope found through and in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the message, and it's the lifeblood of the church. In fact, if a church doesn't have the gospel, if it does not exist because of the gospel, if it is not busy preaching the gospel, it's really not even a church. It may be a social club or society. It may be a self-help organization. It may even be a benevolent institution that does commendable things for the community. But it's not really a church, and we see a lot of organizations today that claim to be churches that are wrapped up in all of those other things, and you really don't hear a lot of pure gospel from them. Well, the church is to be about the business of preaching the gospel. The gospel is what saves people from their sins, and that's the greatest need that any person has is salvation from his or her sins. The church was formed by the gospel. It's built upon the gospel. It lives by the gospel. It is sustained by the gospel. For example, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 25, we read that the gospel is to be preached. We're told in Colossians 1 and verse 5 that the gospel is to be heard. We as saints were called by the gospel, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. We are saved by the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. We have been entrusted with the gospel as believers in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14. And Paul warns that we will be judged by the gospel, Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. But what is the gospel? Well, you listen to people who claim to be preaching it today, and you may come away with an incomplete picture compared to what all the Bible says about the gospel. I can tell you the gospel is not the prosperity doctrine or promise of earthly wealth and power and riches, far from it. And it is certainly not a political agenda or platform in fact, the gospel has nothing to do with any political party or any nation on earth in particular or uh, any type of human philosophy. It is much greater than any of that. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means a good message, or in other words, good news. So when Jesus commissioned the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he was telling them to go forth and tell or publish the good news. What is the good news? Well, the salvation had finally come, that the promise of the ages was finally being fulfilled, that the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, had arrived and brought deliverance to a people bound in sin since the dawn of time, and that the Christ, God's anointed one, God's anointed king, had finally been enthroned and ushered in his glorious kingdom. And that's why the Bible calls it the gospel of the kingdom. But you see, we don't really come to see those things as good news until we first know something about the bad news, until we understand the destruction of sin and the awfulness and the helplessness of our lost state without Christ and the rebellion and anarchy that exists in God's creation because of sin. Some people think that preachers should always be positive, that they should never preach negatively and shouldn't spend much time really talking about sin and making people feel bad about their sinful condition. But I suggest that before the gospel will ever appeal to us as good news, we have to first confront, be confronted with the bad news. And the bad news is that we're sinners. The bad news is that we're lost. We're under the wrath of God. We're condemned to hell. 
that this creation that surrounds us has been in a state of rebellion against God. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 is Paul's description of us before we heard the good news of Christ. And he paints a bleak, bleak picture. He describes what we were before Christ came and died for our sins. For example, in verse 1, he tells us that we have been quickened who were dead in sins and trespasses. We were spiritually dead. In verse 8, he points out that we were unable to save or rescue ourselves. For by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. Man didn't initiate salvation. Man in no way earned God's gift of salvation. It was God acting on behalf of man that sent Jesus to this world to bring heaven's plan to earth. Verse 12, uh, we were excluded from any covenant with God. We had no fellowship with Him. He says, without Christ, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says in verse 13 that we were far away from God. You who are far off or were far off are made nigh or brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, he says that we in our sins were enemies of God and His people. But Christ abolished in His flesh, he says, the enmity and broke down the wall of partition. So the gospel is the best news a person could ever receive. Better than any news a doctor could bring or an investment banker or any lawyer or any politician. They may bring news that affects the here and now. They, they, they may bring news that affects a small portion of our life and our future. But Jesus sent His apostles out with good news that affects not only the here and now, it affects the rest of our lives here and it affects our eternity. So again, you, you can never receive any greater news than what the Savior brought to earth from heaven in the scheme of redemption. But yet there's much confusion today about the gospel, what the gospel contains, what the gospel requires, and what the gospel promises. But the scriptures reveal at least four things that are contained within the gospel, and I want us to look at them today. And when we do, I think we'll see that many preachers who claim to preach the gospel aren't really preaching the whole gospel, if they're even preaching the gospel at all. First of all, and rather obviously, the gospel includes facts to be believed. Since it's to be preached, the gospel is a message. And there are certain things that that message contains that we are to believe, we're to accept by faith. Paul succinctly stated the gospel message in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He wrote, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Well, these are the great facts of the gospel. The salvation of man is bound up in these three events, that Christ died, He was our atonement, He was the satisfactory offering and sacrifice offered to God so that our sins could be uh, atoned for, paid for, and we could be reconciled to Him. After He was crucified, He was buried, and then on the third day He resurrected, He rose again. And we have victory and triumph and new life in Him because He rose again. You see, the gospel is not just that God loves man. It's not merely that God wants the best for man. 
The gospel is not even that God wants to forgive our sins. That's all certainly true, and it's certainly good news and contained within the gospel. But all of those things are contained within the work of Christ when He came to earth. He died in our place as a vicarious offering, bearing the wrath of His Father poured out for our sin. He was then buried, and He secured victory over sin and death when He resurrected on the third day. And now, having ascended back to the Father, He reigns at the right hand of God. And that's why the gospel is sometimes referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that Christ is reigning upon His throne, that the rule of God expressed in the reign of His Son has now come to earth in the hearts of men, that things are being subdued and being brought back to God until at the end of time, Christ is going to have defeated the last enemy and He's going to offer the kingdom up to God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that then God will be all in all. Well, that's the best news earth ever received. But the majority of people today seem to be oblivious to that. They don't seem very concerned about it. You know, if there was a cure found today for cancer, the world would rightfully rejoice. If suddenly all wars ended and there was lasting peace between nations, the world would breathe a collective sigh of relief. The world would be ecstatic. But Jesus has provided a cure for the worst disease and the deadliest pandemic of all, sin. And He has brought peace between God and fallen man. And that was the greatest war of all, that between heaven and earth. But Jesus has effected peace for all who will yield to His plan. He has been enthroned as the great benevolent ruler of God's creation. That's wonderful news. And you and I should rejoice that such news has been announced on earth. Now look what happened in Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 35 when a man long ago heard that news. Now this was a powerful government office holder in the nation of Ethiopia who had made the long journey by chariot to Jerusalem to worship God. And God dispatched Philip to that desert road where the man was returning home. He met him and he explained the reading from Isaiah that this man was reading at that time. And he showed him that Christ fulfilled this wonderful prophecy of salvation. And the Bible says that from that very same scripture, he preached Christ unto him. Well, this eunuch heard the gospel. And because he heard that gospel, he wanted to receive what that gospel promised. He wanted to be saved. And Philip's response was, if thou believest, thou mayest. Believe what? Well, he confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus is who he claims to be, who the gospel sets him forth to be. He is the Son of God. He is our atonement crucified upon the cross. He is risen again, and he is king at the right hand of God. He had to accept and embrace the facts of the gospel before Jesus would save him. Now, friends, salvation is not received by pedigree or birth. It's received by the new birth. You cannot improve yourself enough to be right with God. You must believe and trust the Lord Jesus and the sacrifice He made for your sins to be saved, and you must trust in His power. John 3 verse 16 says that those who do believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's very true that we're saved by grace, but that grace is conditioned upon faith in the message of His grace which we hear. But now let's not stop there as so many want to do, and as many, many preachers do today. A great many preachers today would agree with every word I've said up until this point. But the problem is that's where they stop, but that's not where the Bible stops. For we see in this very case of the Ethiopian nobleman that the gospel not only has facts to be believed, but the gospel has commands that are to be obeyed. 
In fact, the Bible uses the phrase, obey the gospel. We are to obey the gospel. We don't just mentally assent to what the gospel says. We obey the message of the gospel. Now let's look at the account of the nobleman in Acts chapter 8 verses 35 to 38 and see what he understood after hearing the gospel of Christ. He learned more than merely the facts pertaining to Christ's life, passion, and resurrection. There was a divinely motivated response to those facts. For the record says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, how did he know that he needed to be baptized? Where did he learn that? The Bible just simply says that Philip preached Christ unto him. And here he sees a body of water and he says, What hinders me to be baptized? Well, shouldn't we rightfully conclude that as Philip preached Christ unto him, that he taught him that in order to receive the benefits of the gospel, we must in faith obey the gospel in baptism? That's the only conclusion we can come to because he knew that he needed to be immediately baptized upon hearing Philip preach Christ unto him. That preaching must have included the command of baptism. Now remember Jesus in Mark 16 as we read in the very beginning, verse 15, told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that's what Philip the evangelist is now doing. He's preaching the gospel, the good news. But then notice what Jesus says in verse 16. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes, that is, he believes the facts and puts his trust in those facts in Christ, and he is baptized, that means he obeys the commands of Christ, he shall be saved. Now those are the words of Jesus, not my words, they're his words. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. He said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. You see, the gospel must not only be believed, it must be obeyed. In fact, Paul shows here that to truly believe the gospel is to obey the gospel. Thus, Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus states baptism not only positively, but uh, he states baptism, I should say, positively and not negatively. Now, some will argue that Paul contradicted that when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now Paul did baptize a few of those people, but he let others baptize the rest, not because baptism wasn't important, not because baptism was not a part of obedience to the gospel. But he made that decision because of their immaturity in the gospel and their uh, tendency to uh, belong to a cult of personality instead of place their faith in Jesus. And so Paul let others do the baptizing, but that doesn't mean they weren't baptized, and that doesn't mean that baptism was not part of the response to the gospel message that Paul preached to them. But the gospel not only contains wonderful life and eternity-changing facts to be believed and commands of faith to be obeyed, it also extends promises to be received. 
Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 47 tell us that Jesus, after his resurrection, opened he his disciples' understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The gospel extends the promise of the remission of sins. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remission of sins, in other words, receiving the forgiveness of our sins, causes us to stand justified before God as though we had never sinned, and thus we are granted the hope of eternal life, because Christ has taken away our sins. And then the gospel contains warnings to be heeded, and we don't want to overlook those. Now many will present the gospel as full of promises, but forget its warnings. For example, Paul said that we can pervert the gospel, writing in Galatians 1, verses 6-8, through 8, that he marveled that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now to pervert something means to change it. And that occurs in two ways, adding something to it, like the Judaizers were that Paul was writing about in the letter to the Galatians, and taking away, which is what many modern preachers do. And then we're warned not to fail to obey the gospel. It's not only a serious thing in God's eyes to pervert the gospel, but simply to fail to obey the gospel, to deny the facts of the gospel, but it's just as serious a matter to ignore the commands of the gospel. And regardless of what some try to tell you, the gospel contains commands to be obeyed. Paul warned in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7-9, through 9, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Listen now, friend, underline it in your Bible. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power. From the Gospels, a wonderful message. It can save you today, but you have to believe it, and you have to obey it in order to receive its wonderful eternal promises.
Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. Are you ready to become obedient to the gospel that you have heard? Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ and become His disciple and take those first steps to be united with Him in a brand new relationship, have your sins forgiven, and enjoy a new life in Him and the hope of eternal life? We would be glad to assist you in the steps of obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. And if you do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if you're willing to confess that faith and confess your allegiance to Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Christ of God, and you are ready to repent of your sins, then you need to be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. And we would be happy to help you take that sacred step today. If you'd like a copy of our lesson, get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, very simply titled, The Gospel of Christ. And we'll get that on the way as soon as we can. It's free of any cost. It's yours for the asking. And that's the case with anything that we ever offer here on this program. This program is different from any others that you might view this morning or at other times on television because we will never ask you for money. We will never charge for the materials that we offer here. They are our gift to you as members of the Church of Christ who are interested in preaching the gospel to the world. So we're glad that you join us from week to week. And we hope to hear from you. We hope you'll come and visit us in our worship services anytime that you have the opportunity. I hope you'll make your plans if God is willing to join me back here next time for another Bible study together. Until then, have a great week. And Lord willing, I'll see you next time. God bless. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.